0: Andy, he is risen. He is risen indeed. I'll I'll say it here, and then you can say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, I think you got more than a couple of minutes, but that's all right. I had to say hi to people in the back because I never get back there. I talked with Pastor Dave before the service. He and Aria had a. Aria was with you, wasn't he? Amen. (laughs) Wonderful week in uh, Louisville, getting preached at. I'm a firm believer after doing this for a lot of years that preachers needs to be, need to be preached at and convicted as well as refreshed. And it sounded like that's what Dave and Ari got along with. How many other? 12,000 or what was it that? 11,000 seconds and then about 500 other people. Okay. Fantastic. Great. Welcome back. Welcome home. Uh, I... Asked Pastor Dave, "You assigned me this little text from First Corinthians 15. Is there another sermon or two to follow? Because my history here at Cornerstone has us with a brief series of messages post resurrection." He said, "No. This is this is just one sermon. So I took uh, the liberty in my mind, although I will not take it in my speaking to give you three messages this morning." Some of you would have to refresh your coffee. Some of you might have to go out and get something dropped off by Uber Eats and uh, could enjoy each message as it comes. It's one message, and uh, it's been three and a half months since I stood in this place before you, the family of God at Cornerstone Church, And some people think if you've preached and preached and preached, it's just like, well, it's like learning how to ride the bike, and then when you get off the bike, you just get back on and ride, but folks, that's not true. Uh, Lord kind of hit me between the eyes this morning with uh, God is making his appeal through you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We implore you or I implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It is an awesome as well as a wonderful thing to stand in Christ's place. You wonder what Jesus looks like? (laughs) He doesn't look a lot like me, but I am his and he is mine. And I stand in his place. And that is an awesome and wonderful thing. To beseech you, to uh, implore you, on his behalf to be reconciled to God. I trust you see that and hear that and know that as we share this time together in God's word. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential and central to the message of the gospel. It's established in history, and we'll see that just a little bit as we consider the context of 1 Corinthians 15. It declares, the resurrection declares Jesus Christ to be the Son of God with power. Romans 1.4. The resurrection must be believed. Isn't that so? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, Romans 10.9 says you'll be saved, you'll be delivered from the penalty of sin, you'll receive forgiveness, you will receive the gift of eternal life if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was risen from the dead. Romans 4.25 says this, He was delivered up for our trespasses, And what took place on the cross was a divine transaction. Jesus paid it all. He paid the price that we could not pay. He took care of a debt that we could never eliminate, our sin. And he died for our trespasses and took our sins away And then it says he was raised for our justification because salvation is a transaction where something is taken away, the guilt of sin, and then something is given, the righteousness of Christ, linked with his resurrection. Essential, central. If you don't have resurrection in your gospel, Your gospel is dead in the water. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Pastor Dave shared the wonderful words from Mark 16. Uh, He's not here. He's not here. He's risen. Today we're going to celebrate our... We celebrated his empty tomb, and I'm I'm using your words as we shared beforehand. We're going to celebrate our empty tombs. If you get nothing else out of this message, two things I'd like you to do. One, pray for me as I preach. You say, oh, I can't do that. I'll be paying too close attention. No, you're not. Your mind can listen far faster uh, than I can speak, so I can't fill all those, those, uh, you know, those quiet spots. Pray for me. And secondly, uh, what is this, a brain freeze? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, this is it. I want you to realize something. I want you to realize something. That your destiny, your destiny is bound to the destiny of Jesus Christ. He was raised, you will be raised, and he was raised eventually to rule and to reign over all things. And you and I, if we trust him and know him, will be raised with him, and we will what? we will reign with him. We will reign with him. No more political wrangling. No more doubt about who's in charge. And we get the chance to rule and reign with him. Our destiny, your destiny, if you know Jesus today, is bound together with the destiny of Jesus, our resurrected Lord. Follow along as I read first. Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20, 21, and 22. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam and uh, that's the man through whom came death, all die, so also in Christ, and that is the resurrected one, in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, when we open the eternal word of God... May we treat it for what it is, it is not the word of men, it is the word of God. And when we hear it preached, may we understand that clearly, it is not the word of men, it is the word of God. You can like a preacher, enjoy a preacher, and not listen for the word of God. Help us to listen today to what God is saying to our hearts. May we not miss it. We pray, Father, that you would feed your church today. You would lead your church today. You would confront us. You would convict us. You would comfort us. You would bless us so that we might bless you by our worship and through our worship and that we might bless others as we leave this place. Help us, Father. We call on you as our great high priest who hears our need and gives us grace to help us in that time of need. Consecrate and set these minutes apart as we hear from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15 is the central passage in all the Bible on resurrection. And now you're saying, you're just trying to fool us into thinking that you're going to preach three verses. You're preaching 1 Corinthians 15. 58 verses. No, I'm not but I'd like to overview just quickly a couple of things. It speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the the resurrection of believers in Jesus Christ. It speaks about the nature of the resurrection body. It speaks as well about the mystery of the resurrection and the victory of the resurrection. That's 1 Corinthians 15. I want to share just a couple of comments about the immediate context of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not going to preach the first 19 verses, but uh, as I, I looked at it and read it, uh, Paul twice raises the question this way. In verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised... And if you circle your Bible or underline your Bible, you may want to note that phrase also in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised. Imagine that. What if Christ had not been raised? In verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. Vain. Well, you may think of looking in the mirror and that's vanity. No, the vain in this particular context and often used in the New Testament is a word that means empty, hollow. Something that's vain serves no purpose. It is without effect. It has no basic component. I like the phrase that says there is nothing to it. If you've got a gospel without the resurrection of Jesus, there's nothing to it. It's lifeless. Some of you may not know that my favorite car used to be a 57 Chevy. That just shows you how old I am. But it has become the 1963 Corvette Stingray. Familiar to some of you in the house? There you go. Way to go, Jack. Uh, Jack's got a little less hair than me, but we're probably about the same age. 63 Corvette Stingray may not mean anything to many of you, but I bought one. You did. Where did you get that money? Well, I bought it in Doylestown in a bookstore. And there it is. There it is. Six bucks, what a a steal. It was a steal. You say, what are you driving at, talking about a Stinger? That design, uh, that's the only time it was in a Corvette. I think some years later it was in an Oldsmobile. But I think the problem was the the windows were so at at such a slant, you looked through your rearview mirror and you couldn't see anything. Maybe that's why they didn't make it again. But I think this thing's got great lines Let's just say that I actually went and bought one of these life-size. Life-size. I have no idea what it would cost. But I go to Doylestown to pick it up. I get in the, uh, the driver's seat. I turn the key. Nothing happens. I get, I pop the hood, I, I lift it up. Not like I know what I'm doing, but a lot of guys that know what they're doing pop the hood and they know what they're doing. Most guys pop the hood and they just look. Uh, so I'm looking and lo and behold and popping the hood, there's no engine in this car. It looks beautiful, but it's got no engine. You hear me? No engine. I'm looking for a 327 with a four-barrel carburetor, 250 horse, dual pipes, and no engine. You know what that car is? That car is in vain. It's got no life. It doesn't work. Nice to look at. It's like religion without Jesus. It's like Christianity without the resurrection. So I'm putting my car away, and uh, I'll let you know when it's for sale. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, and futile is a word that means foolish or profitless. It... It's actually a word that we find in Acts chapter 14 where Paul and Barnabas are preaching to those in Lystra and and they say to them, put away these worthless things. The implication is put away your idols. Do you realize without the resurrection of Jesus Christ you may as well be an idol worshiper? You know that? Well, I got my African bushman. From, uh, from our Africa room in the, in the lower level of our house. You see that? You see that, right? He's got eyes, but he can't see me. He's got ears. This is a pretty good carving. He's got ears, but he can't hear me. He's got a mouth, and he can't speak to me. Why? You say that's kind of stupid. Who would worship such a thing? God is saying, without the resurrection, your faith is futile, futile. If Jesus has not been raised, you may as well worship an idol. Your faith is worthless. It's worthless. He goes on to say at the end of that verse, and you are still in your sins. An idol can't forgive you. A risen Savior can. Then those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You'll never see your loved ones again who know the Savior. And if Christ, in Christ, we have hope only in this life, where of all people to be pitied. You mean to tell me that you believe in Jesus and you're sacrificing and following him and, and doing what he says and obeying him, but he's not alive? And you're suffering for it? You, you are being chastised, you are being persecuted. For a Savior who's dead? You'd have be pitied. You know, at least go out and live it up. At least do that. What am I driving at? The resurrection of Christ makes Christianity absolutely and totally unique among the religions of the world. No quote-unquote religion like it. And uh, when I think of religion, I think of keeping rules and uh, uh, performing rituals keeping rules because I want to earn my way to heaven, performing rituals because it's the thing to do and it makes me feel good. Religion is man's attempt to gain God's favor. Religion is not what Christianity is. You've heard it, I've heard it, but I was reminded as I looked at this text, and eventually we're going to get to this text, verses 20, 21, and 22, I looked at it and said, uh, you, you, you know, Christianity is a relationship. You cannot have a relationship with a dead man. You can have a relationship with one who has died and rose again and ever lives to intercede for you. You can have a relationship with him through his spirit who comes to live in you when you come to know him and trust him and believe in his finished work, when you believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And when I look at the church of Jesus Christ I say you know he's really in the world today. If you know Jesus he's in you. 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 He's in, you, he's in me. Jesus gets up on Monday morning? No, he doesn't. He's already awake. But he goes to work when you go to work because he's what? He's in you. He's in you. He's a living savior. That relationship with Jesus Christ can begin in time and it will last forever and ever and ever because he's alive. You will share in his resurrection and you will see your loved ones again who know and love the Savior. If you've trusted in him for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, your hope is not just for now to get you through it's forever, because you're going to rule and reign with him. There's a title in the bulletin for this message, which comes from the text of Scripture, and it, uh, it says, In Christ shall all be made alive. I, I didn't change the title, but the word that kind of stuck out to me as I looked at, three, at these three verses was the word, In and some of you who know me say, well, that sounds like you. You always try to use one-syllable words so people understand. <laughs> in! In. I'm going to make a comment about in at the close of the message, but I don't know about you, I, I circle things that are repeated in Scripture, and it says in uh, the ESV in verse 21, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And verse 22: for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I like that word. So I I looked it up in the dictionary, and you say, You've got to be kidding me. Looking up the word in? Well, it has about it. It's interesting that uh, what can you say about two letters? Well, they used the first word in the Webster's dictionary by way of definition was inclusion. We do this phrase every once in a while. Hey, man, I got tickets. You're in. You're in. You're included. You can participate. You meet with the powers that be in a business organization, and you're in. You're on the inside. It's a special place, a special position, a special privilege. You're in. You're in. Keep that in mind as we look at these three verses. Struck by the word in, and actually this could be translated in verse 20, not just in fact, but, but now, I think, is, a, is another translation. But in fact, I was arrested by that word fact because the speculation that the Apostle Paul raises in verses 14 and 17 now becomes an affirmation. It's not speculation; it's affirmation. What is it? He has indeed been raised from the dead. There is no doubt about it, supported by irrefutable historical facts. And I realize that people argue up one side and down the other. Did Christ really was he raised from the dead? Was his body stolen? Was he really not dead when he's taken down off the cross and he kind of revived in the coolness of the tomb? And somehow what would take 20 people to move, he rolled the stone away and out he went and nobody ever saw him again. We've been looking for bones. We've been looking for those who will disprove it. No. I am so glad that uh, our faith in Jesus Christ It's not a fairy tale. It's not fake news. It's fact. It's fact. It's recorded what? I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I delivered to you, first of importance, what I also received." Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And what does it say? You know how we know he died? Because the next phrase says he was buried. You bury dead people. He died. He paid the penalty for your sin. He shed his blood that you might have forgiveness. He died and he was buried. Then it says what? He was raised the third day in accordance with the Scripture's. And what proves that? He appeared to people. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to 500 people at once. And I know people argue in the history of their interactions with this truth that uh, it was an apparition. It was a vision. But nobody ever, ever heard of 500 people seeing the same vision. Unless I guess it was some kind of IT miracle. No! 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 500 at once. We saw him. We saw him. Did you see him? Yeah, I saw him. I saw him. He appeared as well to James, to all the apostles together, and last of all, Paul said, he appeared to me. He appeared to me. Your faith, my faith in Jesus Christ is what? Based on historical fact. Now, you may not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You can't deny those facts. People have tried to deny them, and you know what happened? They researched and researched and researched, and what happened to them? What happened to them is the same thing that happened to Lee Strobel, if you know that name. He became a Christian. The proof spoke. It spoke of a man who was more than a man. He was the God-man. He had the power of God to, to be raised again from the dead. Christianity is totally, completely unique. He died, he was raised, and this is in fake news. It says, I don't know if you noticed, he has been raised. He has been raised. You say, what's the big deal? The big deal that that tense in the language of the New Testament is the perfect tense. It means here's something that happened at a point in time on a certain day. We call it Easter Sunday. It happened. And the results of that continue and continue and continue and continue permanently in his character as the risen Lord. That's the implication of that tense. It happened, and the results continue, continue, and they continue to continue. He has been raised. He's called the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's been raised, in fact, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits is the second Old Testament feast listed in Leviticus 23. The first one is the Feast of Passover. Does this ring any bells? Does this ring any bells? Jesus and the disciples met in the upper room on what we call Maundy Thursday, and what did they celebrate? The feast of the Passover. Jesus was arrested and put on a cross by noontime, maybe it was earlier than noontime, on Friday, and they had to take him down off the cross because Passover, the Passover Sabbath was coming, what? At sundown on Friday. They didn't have to kill him. They didn't have to break his bones, so he'd collapse on the cross and die of suffocation. He was already dead. He was buried. But when was he buried? He was buried right before Passover Saturday. You read Leviticus 23, and you find out that the very next day, the first day of the week after the Passover Sabbath, is the Feast of First Fruits, which is a harvest festival. The priest would weigh the first sheath of grain or whatever it might be in anticipation of the harvest. First fruits. Jesus is saying my resurrection is the first fruits of your resurrection. Go figure. Go figure. It happened when? When? The first day of the week after Passover Saturday, what happened? Jesus came forth out of the grave. I'm first, I'm first, and your turn is coming. That might be hard for us grayheads to appreciate sometimes because of how we feel. Are you groaning today? <laughs> People ask me how I feel, you know, I answer I'm upright, man. I'm upright. It's a good day. I'm upright. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, says these words. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. God's not done with you yet. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the resurrected one, he still hasn't redeemed your body yet. And uh, I'm not a betting man, but uh, I'd put my money on that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Slam dunk. It's going to happen. He has been raised and he says, I'm the first fruits of your resurrection. He is both the example of the Old Testament, the pattern of the Old Testament in waving before God the first fruits in anticipation and the hope of a full harvest. But he's also the guarantee of it that there's more to come. First fruits implies later fruits or more fruits. And we're sitting here, and if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're part of that promise. He guarantees it. I'm the first fruits. You're the next fruits. (laughs) You're the later fruits, the more fruits. Verse 21. Back to 1 Corinthians 15. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That man, as you'll see in verse 22, who brought death is Adam. The one who brought the resurrection from the dead is Jesus Christ himself. By a man came death. God pronounced the penalty on the first sin. Do you remember what he said? Genesis 2.17, he said... You shall surely die. You go to the next chapter, and the serpent said to Eve, You will not surely die. He lied, but he's good at that. He's the father of lies. You shall surely die. Because of one man's disobedience as the father of mankind, and Adam was the first man. Spiritual and physical death spread to all men because all sinned. We get the commentary on that from Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What happened? Adam sinned and he passed that on to his posterity. There was not only death for him, there was death for his posterity. Everybody, not everybody, but we see shows every once in a while of people looking for their roots and all of their background, and uh, that guy who, who does that show I think is really cool. He, he's just excellent. And, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the expressions of people's faces when some of these discoveries are made known to them are just precious, precious and, and, and priceless. But you know, we all go back to Adam. I don't know what great, 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 great great he is, but we all go back to Adam. And when he sinned, Scripture indicates that we sinned too. You say, well, I wasn't there. I wouldn't have made that choice. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? I'm not going to take this apart theologically, but sometimes I examine my own heart and said, uh, uh, would I have made the same choice as Adam? And uh, I would say, yeah, you sure would. I don't sin because I had a deprived upbringing. I sin because I'm a sinner. I know how to sin. Never had to teach my kids how to lie. Never. Never had to teach them how to be ornery or disobedient. We have a nature that sins in Adam because in Adam all die. We all die. The wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. Adam's sin brought disaster on himself and on his posterity. We need to understand that according to Psalm 51, we are born in sin. We have a sin nature at birth. Romans 3.23, we're all in the same boat. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Doesn't sound too promising, does it? In Adam, all die. So also, so also in Christ, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All die. Was Woody Allen, a comedian from a prior generation, who said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. All die. In Christ, what does it say? Shall all be made alive. Did you, did you, were you conscious of the words we sang this morning? <laughs> I almost jumped, I can't jump up and down anymore, but uh, I almost jumped up and down as I read the words that I was singing about the fact that Christ gives us new life. Everybody in this room is in Adam. If you're not sure about that, just pinch yourself. If it hurts, you're in Adam. You're a human, and you're going to die. We're not leaving on that note. You're going to die. I'm more conscious of that now than I've ever been. How much time do I have left? I don't know. Talked to somebody during the the sharing time, and he said, I could get hit by a truck tomorrow. I said, let's hope not, but you could. You could. We're all going to die, one way or the other. But in Adam, and we're in Adam by physical birth, we have a sin nature. We're spiritually dead, according to Ephesians 2. We are without God and without hope in the world. We are in miserable shape in Adam, apart from Jesus. No hope without God in the world. We're unrighteous in his sight, and we're appointed to die, for it's appointed unto man once to die. We live in a culture that turns their back on death, although we treat life in many, many ways so cheaply it's sickening. But we don't talk about it. Oh my, he's, uh, he passed, we don't say he died, he passed and he has gone to a better place. Really? Really? If you haven't come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have already passed from death to life, John five twenty four, you ain't going to a better place. You're not. Jesus said very clearly in John five twenty. 8 and 29, that all will be raised. Everybody will be raised. Some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of judgment. You see, in Christ we'll be made alive through Christ's atoning cross work. There's untold consequences, eternal consequences. This life and the life to come of good in your life. Trials, difficulties, Yes. But we've got something that somebody apart from Christ does not have, and that is hope. Hope. If you're in Christ, you, you are there because of a spiritual rebirth. We are all in Adam by physical birth. We come to, to be in Christ through spiritual rebirth, limited to those who believe. The Bible does not teach universalism and I've heard it and I've seen it and I am saddened by it to say Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world therefore everybody saved. That's universalism. We're all going to get there. Don't worry about it. Implying in parenthesis you can live however you want to live. Go live like the devil and God will see that well come on in. We invite everybody. No we don't. He doesn't. If you don't come to God, by way of the cross of Jesus Christ, you ain't coming to God. All who believe are made alive. They receive abundant life according to John 10.10 and eternal life according to John 10.28 and no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand because why? You are in Christ. Is there a better place to be than in Christ? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I know so. There is no better place to be. You become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In him you become the righteousness of God. If you wonder how God can look at you sometimes, how God can look at me sometimes because of what I've said or done or thought, I have to hearken back to the fact that he says of me that I have become the righteousness of God the righteousness of, uh, in Christ, I, I have received the righteousness of uh, his righteousness. And when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son. Because I'm in Christ. Everyone in this room today is in Adam by birth, physical birth and an atom all die physically and spiritually apart from a spiritual rebirth you will spend eternity in a place described in second Thessalonians this way they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his might that is eternal death separated separated set apart Separated away from the presence of God and from the glory of His might, God names that place hell, created for the devils and his, the devil and his angels, and for those who who choose not to believe in Jesus Christ. You say, "Well, that sounds too simple to me. All I got to do is believe in Jesus." Because some people say, "I won't believe in that. I can't believe in that," and they say, "My way is better. I can earn my way. I can." I'm better than most. I'll take my chances. God says there's only one way. To trust Jesus alone as the one, the unique Son of God who conquered death and hell and the devil. Believe on him. Trust in him to take your sins away. To give you the righteousness of Christ and to prepare a place in heaven for you. Jesus, in contrast, is the example and guarantee of our resurrection. He is the first fruits. The first fruits! You realize that a guarantee, and He guarantees that He is the first fruits, and there's more fruit coming. A guarantee does you no good unless you accept it, unless you trust Him. If you say, I don't want it, I don't believe it, I won't accept it. Where you can believe in the name of the Son of God, and know, according to 1 John 5, that you have eternal life now, and that life will continue as what, God, what awaits for you is the resurrection of your body, complete and total salvation. You will not come into judgment, but you have already passed from death to life. You will become a child of God by faith. What am I driving at? What is the burden of my heart today? Everyone will be resurrected to life, some to the resurrection. Uh, Everyone will be resurrected, some to the resurrection to life, others to the resurrection of judgment. If you are in Christ, you've already passed from death to life. Jesus will return as promised. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a place prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a place prepared for the children of God. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14. I will go prepare that place and I will come and take you to be with himself. And Jesus will keep his promise. He will keep his promise. Trusting him alone for forgiveness and eternal life, both the living and the dead. We will, you'd read that at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. You'd read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. To take you to the place he's prepared in heaven. And you know what Revelation 21.4 says about heaven? It says it's a place that where there will be no more death. no more death. The destiny of Christians, the destiny of believers in Jesus Christ is bound up in the destiny of Christ. What does he say in John chapter 11? These words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, He's speaking of Lazarus in this context. Yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, and I take that to mean I you will never know separation from God, eternal death, spiritual death. Do you believe this? The same question that Jesus asked, I ask today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If... You believe in me, though you die physically, you're going to live. You'll experience eternal life in it. In I don't know. I think about heaven once in a while and say, Lord, I think you tell us just enough to whet our appetite and let our imaginations go wild. And I'm okay with that. Because whatever we would imagine heaven would be like, I guarantee you, I guarantee you it's going to be a whole lot better. A whole lot better. Your eternal destiny is bound up in your relationship with Jesus or your lack of relationship with Jesus. He says to you, as He says to me, if you believe, you may die physically before Jesus returns, but you'll never die spiritually. And he who lives and believes in me will never know what it means to be separated from the presence of God because what happens to a believer in Jesus when he or she dies absent from the body is present with the Lord. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Your eternal destiny is bound to the eternal destiny of your Lord and Savior. Folks, that's good news. That's great news. That's wonderful news. I trust today that you know that. Not because you think you're better than anybody else, because, but because you know that you've been forgiven. Because you know a living and risen Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that's true. Thank you for the privilege of worship together. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the word that you have shared with us today in the midst of some of my stumbling and some of my uh, uh, lapses in memory. Father, the word has been spoken, the truth has been shared, and it's not my words, it's yours. And we pray that everybody in this place, everybody in this place, because we're all in Adam and apart from Jesus, we're dead in sins, may everybody in this place. Come to the place, if they have not come to that place already, where they trust Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness, for salvation, for the gift of eternal life, and for the hope that will not make us ashamed, the hope of seeing Jesus face to face, and the hope of having a home in heaven with him, the place where there is no death. Thank you. In Jesus' name.